What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined again by David Lake. Um, got a little throwback Thursday-style episode coming up. Uh, we're going to revisit Miami's 2016 recruiting class over the next, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes or so. Just kind of thought it would be a good time, given... Um, the lack of sports to start diving into uh, maybe some of these previous recruiting classes for Miami. So before we get into that, David, uh, how are you doing in day 10 or 11 of quarantine for you? Yeah, doing okay. Um, you know, just trying to manage daddy daycare time with the wife working in healthcare and, you know, daycares being closed, um, which all of that makes sense. You know, just trying to take it day by day, do the best I can, and, you know, try and listen to what the experts tell us each day. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm running low on uh, on toilet paper, but uh, aside Uh-oh. from that, I'm, I'm I'm keeping it, you know, doing my due duty, wearing gloves, a mask to, public, uh, to Publix, and nice. not going out. So You're listening, then. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big believer in, in doing my part. Good, I like that. Well, let's jump into right. this. Yeah, let's uh let's kind of revisit this uh this 2016 recruiting class. So, just as a um a forward before we go into this, you know, th- this was before I was on the Miami beat. Uh, at the time, I was still covering Notre Dame for Rivals, so I wasn't involved in most of these recruitments back in 2016 so david i'll kind of kind of lean on you a a little bit more um to provide maybe some insight but uh let's let's set the scene so so 2016 this is mark rick's first class at miami and i think the term you use for it is transitional class yeah so al golden was you know the head coach at the start of the season for this class and things went south and they got thumped by Clemson and that was an end to the Al Golden era I think in about October or so of that season Um, which meant Miami you know launched into a coaching search for you know those six to eight weeks or so and landed on Mark Richt and you know, a lot of these guys, a lot of the better guys in this class, to be honest, um, stuck with their pledge to the Hurricanes. A, a few of them decommitted, uh, but a lot of most of those guys kind of came back and were key players at Miami. Um, and, and, you know, I think one of the themes that will be apparent of this discussion is just how transition classes are tough um you know this class i think is an example of boomer bust because i do think the top half of the class turned out to be pretty good but there is certainly a bottom half of the class that you know either gets incomplete grades or f's due to like transfers or guys just not being good enough to play at miami or all the above. Um, so yeah, we can jump into it here. I guess which guy do you want to start with, Andrew? 
Yeah, so let's. Uh, there's 19 kids. I think we're just gonna go quickly through them, kind of um, maybe re-rank them in our heads a little bit. Do where are they now type deal, and uh, let's start right at the top. The number one, uh, or I should say, the highest ranked kid for Miami in the class of 2016 was Sam Bruce, the four-star wide receiver out of uh, Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas Aquinas. He was the nation's number 84 overall prospect, number 11 wide receiver. Um, he, I think he basically really made a name for himself off a play that happened. And it was either STA spring game or uh, a preseason yeah. scrimmage where there was a vine of him taking off uh, down the sidelines. That was back when vine was popular. And uh, my good friend at, over at rivals.com, uh, uh, Rob Cassidy, he's the one that that took that. But Sam was like a um, seven-on-seven all-star. He was like a, a legend yeah. in South Florida, and he didn't really pan out at Miami. Yeah, I mean, Sam is an example of a guy who uh, was definitely on the recruiting scene uh, early in his high school career. So he was known about, you know, as a freshman, I think, as a sophomore, I think he went to university school in Fort Lauderdale before he was at St. Thomas, and he was a, a playmaker at university school. You know, early in his high school career, he was kind of about the same height he ended up being uh, as a senior, which was right about at five foot eight. He did get thicker and stronger um, as his high school career progressed, uh, but he unfortunately never got much taller. And I think. So the recruiting, the 24-7 composite, which is the industry standard, the average of, of the recruiting rankings, had him at as the number 84 overall player in the country uh, as a four-star. And I think in general, you know, the recruiting industry tries to learn from, from maybe previous quote-unquote mistakes. And, and I think one thing the industry is kind of learning with Sam Bruce being an example, uh, small guys, it's just hard for them to be an elite playmaker at the college level and then certainly at the NFL level. And ultimately what recruiting rankings are trying to do is project from high school to the NFL. And Sam Bruce, I think it's fair to rank him as a four-star, but I don't think nowadays he would get ranked in the top 100 if he was being ranked as a prospect. I think he would be ranked kind of on that borderline of a three, four-star type guy. I would err on the four-star side, so like a four-star 90 type guy, uh, barely a four-star, just because he he was a legitimate five foot eight. And, you know, when you think about it, I mean, how many five foot eight ballers are there in the NFL these days? They don't really exist. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I do think Sam Bruce was uh, an intriguing talent. And he was certainly a guy that Miami should have taken just based on that talent. Miami did land him, I will say, because there were character concerns with Sam. Uh, you know, during his senior year, I think the school he really wanted to go to was Ohio State. 
Ohio State wasn't willing to take him because of those character concerns. I think the next school he wanted to go to was Florida, and, and Florida passed as well. And so he kind of fell into Miami's lap, uh, you know, near the end of the process. And, um, you know, when he did get, I think before he even enrolled at Miami, some of those character concerns showed up behind closed doors via social media, some stuff he was doing on social media. And, you know, those concerns continued when he did get on the roster and was a part of the team. And eventually Mark Rick just had to cut ties with Sam. For those wondering where Sam Bruce is now, um, I did some research, looked it up. He went to a junior college in Mississippi. I think it was Gulf Coast. Ended up at Southeastern, which is an NAIA uh, over in Lakeland. And now he's currently listed on the roster for the Frisco Fighters of the Indoor Football League. Um, and according to his Twitter timeline, he's he's still on that active roster. And he was practicing within uh, this past month. So um, for those wondering what happened to Sam Bruce, uh, now you know. Uh, Dave, let's move to the next player, uh, next highest ranked player for Miami in, in the class. And if we were going to re-rank these guys, he'd probably be number one for me. That's Shaq Quarterman, the linebacker um, out of Oakleaf High School up in Orange Park, which is in Duval County, right outside of Jacksonville. Um, he was the number 111, 111 player in the country, according to the industry-generated composite, uh, an Army All-American, and uh, basically an Ironman for Miami. Like I think he, he pretty much did everything you could have asked for from him and, and, and probably more. Yeah, I mean, Manny Diaz during his senior year called Shaquille Quarterman a true king, you know, and honestly, Shaq showed those traits before he even knew who Manny Diaz was. So Shaq committed to the Al Golden coaching staff and stayed true to that commitment, you know, all during this turmoil of a coaching search and coaching change. Um he never really wavered, to be honest. Um, and, you know, he enrolled early at Miami that spring, and I believe it took him one or two weeks of spring football before he was running with the first team. And, you know, as we know, he never relinquished that starting role for the next four years. So, you know, Shaq being ranked as a 111th player in the country, Certainly, at the college level, he lived up to that ranking. Is that going to translate to the NFL level? We'll see. Um, you know, I think he probably gets picked in the later rounds of the NFL draft. But certainly from Miami's perspective, at the college football level, uh, they definitely got a lot of value out of Shaq Quarterman in this 2016 class. And overall, the recruiting industry, I think, got his ranking correct. Um, I, I did want to ask you, who was the big competition, uh, kind of for him? Uh, who did Miami beat out for him? I mean, honestly, I think he, he kind of committed so early. I'm not, I'm not so sure there was really any real competition. Like I know 
I mean, there's that story of him visiting Friday Night Lights. Um, he had already he's already a Miami commit, and he was wearing a UM tank top. So yeah, I mean, he you. he was always a, a Miami fan. I believe his he would always say his favorite player was John Beeson. I think honestly, he was just a guy who dreamed of playing for Miami, and as soon as that opportunity arose, he jumped at it. And it was it was a wrap. All right. Third highest ranked player in that 2016 class for Miami uh, is a guy we didn't get to see what would have happened uh, long term with him. And that's Amon Richards, the wide receiver. Um, he was at Wellington High School, which is up up in Palm Beach County. Um, man, he he was he was a difference maker. I always go back to that that Notre Dame game in 2017 um david i think when we did this we're talking about this earlier he's the guy you would have number one if you had to re-rank this class he would be my number one guy um because i don't necessarily downgrade him for the injury stuff i honestly just think that's unlucky um i think it was pretty clear from the jump that he was the best player in this class and i think he had if the injuries didn't happen he would have been a borderline first round pick and you know probably the lowest he would have gone is second round of of the NFL draft um he was a dynamic player with the ball in his hands and when it came to attacking the ball in the air he was he was going to be Miami's next big time receiver he broke Michael Irvin's freshman receiving records um you know it's a shame that the injury did happen, and and we didn't get to see Amon have the professional career that you know we think we think he could have had. I do think the further and further we get away from you know his his last healthy season, I think we kind of forget how good Amon was. He was a beast, you know, particularly his freshman year uh, when he was working with Brad Kaya at quarterback. He made huge plays in big games, and it's a shame we didn't get to see him fulfill his potential. So, yeah, I would have him as the number one guy in this class over Shaq. I understand if if you give it to Shaq because, I mean, look, I mean, durability is a thing. It does matter. I just think the type of injury Amon had, I think it's unfair to dock him for that. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to dock him. I, I guess, I mean, for those unaware, uh, I mean, I don't know how you would would be unaware. It was kind of a freak uh, neck thing with Amon, and that's why they uh, shut him down, or, or Miami's doctors wouldn't clear him. Uh, on the recruiting front, he was probably one of the bigger wins for for Miami yeah. right at National Signing Day. He opened things up. Um, you know, I remember Auburn, Alabama, made runs at him. I think even after he opened things up, the sense kind of was, all right, if unless Miami really screws up this coaching search, he's going to end up at Miami still. So, you know, they ended up hiring Mark Richt. Amon clearly was cool with that hire. And yeah, he eventually came back to Miami in the class, which which was a huge get, no doubt. Um, it's funny because... It- 
his uh, his younger brother, Mark Anthony Richards, ended up signing with Auburn. And I went to look to see what he did in year one. And according to the Tigers' official site, he was dinged up and, and didn't do much of anything. Um, fourth highest ranked player in the class of 2016 uh, is the quarterback. And that's Jack Allison. Um, David, I guess I want to start with him. Was he kind of quarterback QB one on the board from the from the jump? Was this the guy that they wanted or or what? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, w- with it being a transition class, it, it's tough for a new coaching staff coming in to turn away. Like they can't be picky, I guess is what I'm saying. So Jack Allison was already committed. Uh, he was kind of in wait-and-see mode when Al Golden was fired. He was a guy that James Coley really liked, um, you know, early in the recruiting process, and Miami got a commit f- commitment from Jack because of that uh, attention James Coley showed. So when, when Al Golden was let go, um, you know, Jack, like I said, was in wait-and-see mode. And when the hire was Mark Richt, you know, it it made a lot of sense for Jack to just stick with his commitment to Miami because Mark Richt kind of runs an offense that should fit the skill set of a Jack Allison. And from Miami's perspective, you know, they can't afford to be too picky at quarterback because there's really not going to be many good options out there. So, you know, Jack decided to stick with Miami. Uh, when Mark Richt was announced as a head coach, and Mark Richt honored that. So um, he was a four-star recruit by the industry, which you know is, is probably a miss, I think, or is definitely a miss. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, his issue basically boiled down to being able to process a defense. Um, you know, he was six foot five. He does have a big arm. He can make all the throws. But there was times where things just were clearly happening too fast for him out there. And, you know, he was never really ultra productive in high school, which I think is is kind of a sign, to be honest, uh, that a quarterback has trouble processing things if they're not putting up relatively decent numbers at the high school level. How can we expect them to put up decent numbers at the college level. So, you know, I think the hope was with Jack, you know, he has all the tools. Maybe we can teach him to read defenses and process things faster, but unfortunately it didn't happen and he ended up transferring to West Virginia. Yeah, where he played uh sparingly as a backup. I think it was 72 uh attempts and now he's going to use his final year uh, of eligibility uh, where is it west liberty or uh, I yeah remember. i think that is it west west something but yeah some school you've never heard of to be honest but or anyone's ever heard of but you know wish him luck and, and last year playing college football hopefully has fun and, and balls out okay the next two guys i'm going to kind of pair these guys together um in, in that 2016 class these are um the two guys that were actually sl- Selected in, in last year's NFL draft. So um, th- this group of 19 uh, signees so far, two draft picks, and, and these two uh, left school early and were selected. That's 
That's Joe Jackson, the defensive end out of Gulliver Prep, and Travis Homer, the running back out of Oxbridge Academy. Let's start with with Joe Jackson, um, number 215 player in the country, uh, according to the composite. Uh, not that productive in high school, um, really. Uh, and, and you know, he he came on, I thought, as it as at the tail end of his Miami career, but a, a lot to be desired in terms of, of of production. Yeah, so he played at Gulliver Prep, um, which is a small small classification at the high school level, and Joe certainly looked the part. He was all of 6'5", 240, 230 pounds. In high school, you know, was definitely big, fast, strong. Definitely the most impressive athlete on the field when he played at Gulliver Prep. I think the concern with Joe and why he was ranked 215th in the country uh, by the industry was because that production was missing. You wished that... His immense physical talent somewhat matched production on the field because, honestly, it wouldn't have been that hard for him to produce against the type of schedule Gulliver Prep plays. Now, he definitely silenced those questions as soon as he arrived at Miami. I think as a freshman, he had, what, eight, nine sacks, something like that. And he had a very productive career overall while at UM. Um so certainly the physical tools played out um, and he definitely improved his effort or motor once he got to the college level. Travis Homer is a guy that I remember kind of got on my radar at a Nike camp or opening camp and which featured, you know, the best players in South Florida. He definitely stood out just from a body type perspective and speed perspective amongst the other South Florida running backs. I think that cycle, it was him and Amir Rasul maybe who were thought of at the time as being the top two backs in South Florida. And I think at that camp, Homer kind of clearly showed he was on another level. Uh, I remember early on, you know, talking to him at that camp, he talked up Florida State kind of as a school that was showing him interest. I don't know if Miami was necessarily coming all that strong for him yet at that point, but I don't think soon. Like I think soon after that camp, Miami kind of turned up the heat on him, and once that happened, it was kind of like, okay, he's he's gonna stay close to home and go to Miami. I remember. Uh homer because notre dame tried to get involved when I, when I was covering him and um i mean when he was at oxbridge that's back when oxbridge like had dudes and they've kind of tailed off in, in in recent years but i i think he's someone who you might be able to argue or can make the case for that he kind of maybe exceeded expectations at i mean i mean i know he was a, a, a top 24 7 kid but um you know he, he was all all acc second team uh, as, as a junior starting tailback, like I think, uh, I, I don't know if I saw that coming out of, of high school with him, just, just based on the film. Yeah, he had a solid career. Um, and he, he was a hard worker too. He's, he's definitely a quiet guy, but he definitely works hard and 
if he gets a, a real opportunity in the NFL, it's going to be interesting to see what he does with it. Um, moving on to the uh, the next one, Deontay Mullins. Um, he was Joe Jackson's teammate at Gulliver Prep. Uh, what happened with him? How did he end up at Miami and uh, and all that? Give us give us a refresher. Yeah. So this was this was a miss by the recruiting industry. Um, he ranked as a four star coming out, the number two hundred and fifty seven overall player in the country. Basically, why Deontay didn't work at the college level was he is five foot ten and he lacks, you know, even good speed, to be honest. Um, what he does do well is he can make some impressive acrobatic catches. He would make, you know, one-handed catches that would go viral. Um, so he had those elite ball skills. But again, he's five foot ten. He doesn't really separate from defensive backs. And at the college level, that's a big deal because corners are going to be able to run with him no matter what. And quarterbacks aren't necessarily going to just trust a five foot ten receiver to, you know, go up and win 50-50 balls all the time. So I think that jump up in competition was tough for Deontay. Um, you know, he he was frustrated when he did get to Miami with the lack of playing time and, you know, decided to eventually transfer out. And it, as far as I know, he didn't land anywhere in the FBS, correct, Andrew? Yeah, I, I, I've looked. I don't think he's, I don't think he's anywhere. Um, it, it's funny though. He, he was in the Under Armour All America game, right? Yes, and I think he made a, you know, one of these acrobatic type catches that I was referring to, and I want to say Jack Allison threw the pass in the game. Um, I do. It was like a top ten play. Right. So he would flash those abilities. Um, but the speed and size just isn't, wasn't there to be honest, to, to play at Miami. And, and honestly, I think looking back, you'd even question like, should he have even been a take at Miami? I'm not so sure. Well, I mean, uh, you, you can make that, that argument for a lot of these guys on the list. Uh, and we're, and we're going to get into that. Um, next guy coming up, Pat Bethel, who, uh, was a four-star defensive end out of Vero, Vero Beach. I think from a developmental uh, standpoint, he's probably one of um, the, the, the best, better case, it, or I should say one of the guys that actually developed at Miami, um, played on the outside, ended up going inside, and I think he started 25 career games for Miami. I mean, just for an in-state prospect to get that kind of use out of him over the course of a few seasons. I think that uh, it, it is a um, positive for this staff, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Pat Bethel is the type of guy that you kind of want the lower half of your recruiting class to look like. Like, is Pat Bethel a dynamic star? No. Um, but he's a hard worker. He's a guy that you can count on, and he's a guy that's going to develop and stick with that process 
for the next four or five years. You can't land 25 starters in a recruiting class. That's just not going to happen. So you got to land guys that are willing to grow into those roles if they come. And Pat Bethel was that type of guy. He was rated a four-star, a low four-star by the industry coming out. And honestly, I think, you know, is he going to be an NFL guy? No, but I don't have any problems with his ranking at the end of the day because he did bring a lot of intangibles to the team behind the scenes. And, you know, like you said, he, he started 25 games. So I do think there was value in in Pat Bethel's career overall. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up on the other side, we will get into the rest of uh, this class. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. David, next guy we got coming up, I think, um, will has a chance to be... Uh, towards the top uh, of the class if we were going to re-rank these guys. And it, it's someone who I know the folks in Coral Gables have long felt good about. He, his career has been a little derailed here, here and there by injuries. And that's Zach McLeod, the linebacker. He's going to be the only guy that that's still left in, in the 2020 season um, from this class that's still in the roster. And I, I think he um, is someone that you could argue will we'll outplay his his ranking on the composite. I mean, he was he was an 89, which is a high three star. And um, from what we saw in that that Pittsburgh game this past season, like 2020 could be a special year for him. Yeah, this is going to be interesting to see what Zach does with this opportunity. Um, you know, I think from an NFL perspective, he has more upside and more potential than Shaq Quarterman or Mike Pinkney, um, just because he's a bigger, faster, stronger guy. Um, I think the reason why Zach was never a starter over those guys was because Shaq and Pinkney simply had better instincts from the beginning. And, you know, once they kind of established themselves as starters, as true freshmen, it was always going to be tough for Zach to overtake them for playing time. So I think now that Zach is a fifth-year player, you know, his instincts, I don't know if they're going to be a question mark at all during this fifth year. And as I said before, uh, you know, his size and speed combination is impressive. And, you know, middle linebacker, honestly, is probably the ideal position for him anyways. Whereas before, earlier in his career, he was working on the edge at strong side. 
and he had to cover slot receivers from time to time, which was kind of unfair, to be honest. Um, but yeah, looking back at his recruitment, you know, I think he, he might have opened things up a little bit when, when the coaching change happened, but I think it was another one of those situations where when Mark Richt was hired, uh, Zach kind of came back to the class and was rock solid from that point on. So definitely he was a recruiting win for, for Miami in this, in this recruiting class. Uh, he was another one that Auburn was in on. I think he took an official visit or I'm sorry, he did. I'm looking at his profile right now. I don't know why I keep saying, I think, uh, to Auburn for the iron bowl weekend. So, um, it's just, it, I guess when you look at this whole class, would you expect him to be the one guy that's, that's still around, uh, entering year five? It is funny because, yeah, there are no redshirt seniors anymore from this class. Guys have either – go ahead. No, I was going to say, and the only reason he redshirted is because he thought he was going to play more. It's not like anyone was developed, yeah. I guess. Right. So as we're going to get into, you know, a ton of guys just transferred out early in their careers. And, you know, the guys that did play early – you know, they're gone. They either left after year three or, or this past year, year four, uh, or they had season-ending injuries. Okay, before we get into uh, what, what I'll call a run on transfers, uh, the, the next guy up in the rankings is um, someone who I know you're like the president of his fan club and you, and you think he's been a big key of this defense the past two seasons, and I absolutely agree, and that's, that's Romeo Finley. Uh, um, he was a three-star safety out of Niceville, Florida, which is up in the panhandle. Ended up being Miami's starting tr- uh, striker the past two years. And really, I, I think almost in a way, Miami kind of carved out that role for him. And yeah. uh, it, it, and he's someone that, I guess if you want to talk development, and player development, like he uh, is, is the one probably everyone at Coral Gables and, and those football offices is, is going to point to. I agree. He was... You know, I think the last two years he was a very solid player for the defense. You know, I've I've mentioned this before, but I think he was somewhat underrated for what he brought to the defense. Uh, looking back at his recruitment, you know, it was kind of a, a a win for Ephraim Banda in the month of January, I think, uh, because they were going head to head basically with Clemson to land Romeo Finley and. Coach Banda won that battle. And, you know, when when Clemson zeroes in on a, a player, they typically don't lose those battles. So I think that speaks to, you know, maybe Romeo Finley's talent and upside and also Ephraim Banda's ability to do a good job building relationships and, and recruiting as well. Uh um, all right, you ready for the, the run on transfers or the first one? Let's do it. Okay, Giovanni Haskins, three-star tight end out of New Jersey. Um, he, like Jack Allison, ended up at, at West Virginia. I think he's back in the portal. What? what I, I honestly don't even really remember him being at Miami um, just when I went out to practices and, and everything like that. What was, what was the deal with him? How did they kind of find uh, Giovanni? Yeah, so I remember Todd Hartley kind of 
zeroing in on him, I think, in the month of January. And, you know, when Hartley comes after a, a guy he wants, he comes hard. And Giovanni was a fairly, you know, one of the better tight ends that was available out there. And Todd Hartley was able to snag him as a big-time commitment in that month of January. Um, you know, once he got to UM, I think from watching him in practices, it was kind of apparent that he was a bit of a plotter, you know, maybe not the type of athlete that Miami is used to having at tight end. And that's kind of why his career at Miami didn't really pan out. Um, just not really the type of athlete Miami needs, you know, as a playmaker at tight end. So he decided to transfer to West Virginia, I think, after his second year or in the middle of his second year at Miami. <laughs> uh, next one up is the second second player that Miami uh, lost to a, a, a career-ending injury, and that's Malik Young, the cornerback. He was at Coconut Creek, which is in, in Pompano Beach, and for those people that really follow recruiting well, they'll remember Coconut Creek was loaded that cycle. They also had uh, Trayvon Mullen, who's, who's now in the NFL, uh, and Benjamin Victor, who went to Ohio State. Uh, Malik played a lot uh, early on in his career, and same thing with Amon, kind of a, kind of a neck injury. I mean, uh, the, the industry-generated composite had him at 5'10", but I think if you kind of re-rank this, he would be uh, in, in the top half of, of the class for Miami. Yeah, I think there's no doubt Malik outperformed his recruiting ranking. Uh, he was a guy that was committed to Georgia. And when Mark Richt, you know, resigned or whatever that situation at Georgia was, um, I think he decommitted. And when Mark was hired at Miami, he followed him to Miami. So Malik definitely proved to be a good evaluation by Mark Richt and his staff at Georgia. And, you know, honestly, it's another example of an industry or industry, an injury derailing a potential NFL career in my mind. Um, you know, we, we talk about Trajan Bandy and, and how he's on the bubble of maybe getting drafted or, or making an NFL roster. In my opinion, I think Malik Young has more upside than Trajan Bandy did or does. I think Malik is, you know, an inch or two taller, probably a little longer too with his wingspan. And I think he just, he brings more speed and ball skills to the table too. So it's unfortunate both for Miami in terms of the depth at cornerback taking a hit and with Malik Young uh, and his potential professional career in football that the injury happened. Uh, but in terms of an evaluation standpoint, this was definitely a win by the Miami staff. He outperformed his recruiting ranking. Tell me this, Andrew. Do you think there's any type of comparison maybe between Malik Young and 2020 signee Marcus Clark? I think there could be some. I don't remember Malik uh, playing as much. Um, he played a lot of receiver. Was it as much as as, as Marcus Clark? I mean, yeah, yeah, I could see it. It was primarily receiver, to be honest. 
the measurables are are there. I think um, they're they're, they're kind of similar, and I I think Marcus is actually probably a little bit faster. So so I could see that. What I was gonna say with Malik is, you know, how much could a Miami have used him this past year, and then really the oh, yeah. season before before that as well. Um, oh yeah. I mean they that would have been huge. Yeah, he would have been a he would have been a four year starter. Like he would have been a starting cornerback this year. And, you know, right now he would be training for the NFL draft. So definitely one of the what ifs of this class. Uh, speaking of four year starters, the the second one uh, in this class or yeah, the, the second one, Michael Pinckney, the linebacker out of Jacksonville, Florida. He went to Reigns High School. Um, he is now preparing for the NFL draft. He was the three star recruit. I think uh, the folks at 20. 24/7 Sports had him as high as you could in um, in that three-star category before adding that fourth star. Uh, another guy who it, it seems like you, you keep mentioning it's it, it's boomer bust or, or hit or miss, and he was he was a hit for the staff just kind of given what he did over his uh, four seasons at, at Miami. Yeah, definitely a recruiting win. Um, you know, he definitely. Ended up playing like a four-star player. Very good college football player. I think, you know, from a Miami standpoint, you would have wished that he had stuck with the process and worked hard to develop his game, you know, his last two years at Miami in particular. Because, you know, as a freshman and sophomore, he really flashed some intriguing instincts and, you know, knack for being a playmaker at linebacker, to be honest. Um, did that development, did that trajectory continue as a junior and senior? No, but he was still a very good college player, and he's got a chance at an NFL career if, if everything is okay with his health at the end of the day. So this was another recruiting win um, by the Miami coaching staff, and honestly, this might be the last win that we talk about of this class. Okay, well, I mean, you, you teed it up for me right there. Um, let's just kind of run through these names that round out the bottom of the class. You you kind of tell me when to stop. Uh, <laughs> Cedric Wright, the three he was a three-star safety out of Gulliver Prep, so he played with uh, Deontay Mullins and, and Joe Jackson. Um, special teamer that, that tr- transferred yeah. out, correct? Yeah, just end of the day, too small. He was five foot nine, not very fast either. Um, and just not good enough to play at Miami. Should have probably never been recruited to Miami. Uh, Michael Irvin, three-star tight end out of Fort Lauderdale, St. Thomas Aquinas, um, started his high school career in Texas. Uh, yeah. Just recently announced he's entering the transfer portal. That's primarily because Miami has Brevin Jordan and, and Will Mallory ahead of him on the roster. Um, I, I I guess, you know, he, he was a solid depth player, but I understand why yeah. he's leaving. I don't think I don't look at this as a loss or a miss by Miami, to be honest. I think Michael Irvin gave everything he had. Um, I think he developed while he was at Miami. He's just not at the level of, you know, elite athlete at tight end that Miami attracts. And, you know, he put in his time at Miami and he's going to transfer as a graduate transfer. And, Honestly, I don't hate on graduate transfers. You know, they get one more year to 
get the most out of their career, and he's going to pursue those options. All right, four more remaining. Dale Harris, is that how you say his first name? I, I honestly can't even remember. Dale. I mean, that's how I – but, yeah, it might be Dale. I don't know. I, I forget, Dale. too. Uh, he was a three-star receiver uh, out of junior college. I think this is the like one of the last junior college players Miami has taken. I mean, I know they took Osman Traore, the the offensive lineman, this past cycle, but it's pretty rare for Miami to take a junior college kid, and he really didn't do much. Yeah. So the thinking with him was, you know, when Mark Richt was evaluating the roster, he felt like they needed depth at receiver. And so, and they needed immediate help, he felt like, at receiver. And so he wanted to look at JUCO options, and Dale was a guy that they uh, zeroed in on. Uh, It didn't, in terms of immediate impact guys, it didn't end up being Dale. It ended up being Amon Richards. Um, And yeah, I mean, honestly, Dale just was a guy at Miami, not ended up not being good enough and I think he I think he ended up being a graduate transfer but I don't know if he honestly yeah. landed anywhere I looked it up last night He's, he ended up at Alcorn State finishes Miami career with uh, 19 catches uh, for about 180 yards and two touchdowns so he did see the field um, yeah but wasn't wasn't what they thought him the final three uh, Trey Johnson uh, the offensive tackle at a first academy, which was up in Orlando. Somehow he was the only offensive lineman in the class. I, I would love to hear some explanation behind that. I've, I've actually done some digging, and from what I heard, Miami was in on a bunch of guys. They just couldn't get them on board. Um, but he seemed to be pretty much a, a reach. Yes. I mean, they needed bodies. Um, and this is kind of what happens with the transition class. You need bodies. You're desperate. You got to kind of reach for guys that, you know, maybe can develop into players three or four years down the road. You hope, cross your fingers, best case scenario. And they took a swing with Trey Johnson and it just didn't end up working. Uh, Tyreek Martin, he, he's the next one. Uh, you basically could take what we just said about Trey Johnson and, and apl- apply it to him. He announced uh, after this 2019 season that he's entering the transfer portal as a graduate transfer. I don't think he's ended up anywhere else, but he was from Alabama. Uh, I think Craig Kolagowski played a big part in that. Yeah, I mean, again, they were desperate for defensive tackles in the class, or they wanted at least one. And, you know, again, they were desperate in reaching and landed on him. They beat out, I think, South Carolina. And then the final... Mr. Number 19 in the class, Jeff James. He was a uh, three-star safety out of Orlando. Um, played like in one game, ended up transferring. I don't know if he went to a junior college, but he walked on at FAU this past season. Um, too yeah. small, or what was what, what well, was your assessment there? Just a reach. I mean, just they again. They wanted a safety in the class, another safety, and just wasn't good enough and he is related to Edrin James and I think you know Miami kept going back and forth back and forth on whether or not to take him I think they gave him the benefit of the doubt because he is related to Edrin James and you know just didn't work out wasn't good enough yeah 
Um, so David, this class finished ranked 22nd according to the the 24/7 Sports composite. Um, number three in the ACC. You think that's a fair ranking? This this class o- overperformed, underperformed, or or did what you kind of expected? You got to remember this group made uh, the ACC title game um, at, at one point. So w- how would you kind of peg it? I think it's a fair ranking. Um, you know, when you look back at this group, how many freshman All-Americans were there on this team? Four, I think I would count off the top of my head. Like Shaq Quarterman, Amon Richards, Joe Jackson, Mike Pinkney. And look, I think, you know, freshman All-American list can be fraudulent because it basically boils down to which freshmen just get on the field due to depth charts. But those four players were impact players and good players, I think uh, they proved to be. Um, So, you know, being the number 22 overall class, the top end, the the top half of the class, the guys that were the better players that ended up being the better players of this class, I think were definitely hits. But the bottom half were just definite misses. And there was really... The thing with this class is there was really no middle ground. Like there were very few straight up pretty good depth guys or pretty good developmental guys that, you know, earned roles as as redshirt juniors or redshirt seniors. Um, It was kind of either they hit on the guy and the guy ended up being a, a starter that started, you know, 20 or so games or the flip side of the coin was the guy was a complete bust it or transferred out. Wash, yeah, like a washout. Um, yeah. You're, you're absolutely uh, right with that. I, I mean, we, we mentioned the two draft picks before in Travis Homer and Joe Jackson. Um, I would assume Shaq Quarterman probably gets drafted. Um, I think Mike Pinkney has a, a chance to get drafted. So that's four guys. And then who knows with Zach McLeod um, and – and, and next year, which would be the 2021 draft, so maybe five NFL guys, um, which is probably pretty good for a, a transitional yeah. class. I think, too, it, it's we forget. Um, I think it's important to put this in perspective, this class. The Al Golden era, especially at the end, was dismal. And the vibes around Miami were extremely low. And the attitude towards Miami was extremely low. It was a low, low point in the program. And, you know, people, you know, thinking back to this um, 2019 season, yes, it was definitely a disappointment. But honestly, I'm not sure the overall vibes of the program were anywhere close to where things were with this Al Golden final season. Um And partly that's because it's still early in the Manny Diaz tenure. Um, But what Mark Rick took over with this transitional class, I think it's important to remember just how much rescuing he had to do at Miami when he when he took over on the job. Uh, Something that was kind of interesting that I looked at was the decommitments Miami had in that 2016 cycle. They had 25 of them. If you remember, uh, a lot of people in the media made a big deal about just the volume of decommitments. And look, that happens with 
um, coaching changes. But I mean, man, if Miami had gotten some of these guys, it's kind of like a not a what if, but there's some some certain pieces that yeah. I think would have been nice to, to to hold on to. The first one, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Um, he was a defensive back out of Coco. He's now playing in the league. Um, let me scroll through that list again. James Pierre, do you remember him? Him, he was the safety out of Deerfield Beach. Um, right. I, I don't know where where he bounced around, but he played corner at FAU this past season. Made the NFL Combine. Um, obviously, you know certain things got to fall certain ways, but he, he's an NFL talent. The one that really stands out to me is Jawan Taylor, uh, the offensive lineman. Right. Um, from Coco. He was only a three-star recruit, but he went in the second round of, of this past season's NFL draft, currently with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And just given Miami's offensive line struggles, it's like, man, if it would have been nice to maybe hold on to him. But I think you were telling me uh, Florida was pretty embedded in that one. Yeah, I mean, I he might have waited until Al Golden was fired to do it, but I think it was kind of already trending towards Florida for a while. Um, and honestly, too, he was a guy that really reshaped his body during his last year at the high school level. Um, and I think once he started to show signs of improving his conditioning and athleticism, schools like Florida really made a strong move. And that's why he ended up there. One final thought I did have with this class, and we, we mentioned it throughout the entire time, it, it's a tra- transitional class. And, you know, look, Miami just had what we would put in quotations as a tradition, transitional class um, when they went from Mark Rick to, to Manny Diaz um, in, in 2019. And just kind of looking back at that commit list, like I don't think it's going to be as boomer bust with that group of individuals uh and i i know you would agree with me but it, i mean look at the guys that played this past season for miami and where were we kind of project them in the in the depth chart moving forward like jeremiah payton christian williams keontra smith avery huff jafari harvey uh the three interior guys to Corey couch um no one's really washed out yet and i think that's that's a good sign yeah like are the We'll, we'll see if the elite or very, very good college-level players are on are on this uh, class, are in the 2019 class. I think we got to wait and see. Um, but I'm with you in terms of I think overall the class is full of good players who can be developed into eventual starters at the very least. And you know, that's ultimately all you can ask of any transition class. Give me a chance to grab as many future starters as possible. And they accomplished that that year. Whereas in 2016, I mean, again, uh, the the situation was tough. Um, but they did, they, half of the class was good. Half of the class was really, really, really bad. Um, anything else you want to touch on before we uh, kind of wrap this up? up no i mean that's kind of all i got anything from you no all right well um guys maybe we'll do some more um class reviews here over the next couple of weeks i mean we really don't know what's going on um i do kind of want to pass along that i i I know a lot of our subscribers at miami.247 sports have asked about this like what is miami doing 
right now, uh, given the uncertainty and, and the fact that the coaches can't be on campus and, and the players can't be on campus. And from what I've heard, um, communication hasn't an issue. We've also seen a ton of guys kind of training with their own uh, on their own with their own trainers and whatnot. I know Derek King has posted some videos of him throwing Mike Harley's running routes and stuff like that. So just want to kind of pass that, that tidbit along. Like I know they're using stuff like zoom and, and FaceTime. So, um, yeah. it's really going to come down to, you know, how, how the staff attacks it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an issue. I mean, the thing is like Miami's not exclusive in dealing with this issue. So, the programs that do, you know, make the most of this situation are going to come out for the better once once football comes back. And I do think it's going to come back this fall at some point. Um, and so the staffs that communicate the best and stay on top of their guys the best at the end of the day, they're going to they're going to win more games than the other programs this fall. All right, guys, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, Feel free to leave us a review, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Take care and stay safe.